Welcome to Mountain View Church Audio, coming to you from the wilderness city, Whitehorse, Yukon. We strive to introduce people to Jesus through scripture, biblical instruction, and prayer with authenticity and vibrancy. You don't need to know anything about the Bible. Just sit back, relax, and let God do the rest. Hey everyone, my name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor here at Mountain View Church, and I want you to try to imagine something. Try to imagine that you're the smartest person in the world. You have wisdom. And then try to imagine, on top of that, that you are the richest person in the world and you have wealth. Now, try to imagine that you have a vast kingdom and that you're powerful. And with all that wisdom and wealth and power, you can have as much pleasure as you want. You can actually have any experience that you want to have. Try to imagine that for a moment. What does that feel like, that life? What does that life look like? Maybe you're saying, hey, Jeremy, that is amazing. That is the life I want. I can't think of anything better. But what would you think if I were to tell you that's actually a fleeting life, a futile life, a meaningless life, like a vapor that in the end of your life, it just all fades away. Maybe you'll disagree with me, and maybe you'll say, well, how do you know? Well, you're, you're right. I do not have uh, infinite wisdom. I do not have, uh, you know, a ton of money at all. I'm, I have a reasonable uh, church salary, um, which I'm very thankful for, but my needs are met, but I don't have a ton of money. I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't have a lot of power. I don't have some vast kingdom. I have a little condo unit, you know, a little townhouse that me and my family live in. So I don't have a lot of square footage. I have some pretty unique experiences, but I can't just do what I want. I don't have infinite pleasure either to choose whatever adventure I want to go on. Um, so no, not me. Don't trust my opinion I would say trust another guy's opinion that we can find in the Bible in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a man by the name of Solomon. And it's found in the Old Testament. And and this is a man who had it all. He had all the wisdom, all the wealth. He had a great kingdom. He had pleasure and experience. He could do anything he wanted. And at the end of his life, he actually said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And this word vanity from a Hebrew derivative of vapor, that mist that I was talking about, that vapor where it's here momentarily and then it's gone. And you're thinking, what? How how can that be? How can a guy who had it all say that life is vanity, that it's a vapor, it's futile and meaningless? Well, now you're maybe thinking, well, this message is kind of depressing, Jeremy. I kind of want to move on to a peppier topic. Well, just hold on. There's good news. There's really good news. And it's all based on this new series that we're starting called Make It Count, where we're going to go through the book of Ecclesiastes, an ancient wisdom literature, a poetic book that kind of leaves a lot of cliffhangers with every verse and every chapter, leaves a lot of big questions, and it leaves us thinking, well, how do we resolve this? But then we're going to get to it because it all points to someone who can resolve our problems and answer our questions. And so today, as we start this journey over the next few months through Ecclesiastes, I want us to try to think about what if we only had today? 
What if today was the last day left? How would we make it count? How would we act different? How would we think different, speak different? What would we do differently? Would we just say, I just want the greatest experience. I just want a ton of money. I just want to get the biggest amount of wisdom possible, uh, the greatest intelligence and intellect, and all that would fulfill me. Or is there something more? Is it relationships? Is it like, oh, I just want to be with this person, and then that would be great. That would make my life count. That would matter. What would you do? What would you have? What would you be if you just had today? Grab a Bible if you have one. We're going we're gonna to kick it off in Ecclesiastes in chapter 1. Now, if you can find a print Bible, you got one near you, you, you kind of want to open right to the, the middle of it. And if you open the middle, you know, usually you'll find yourself in Psalms or Proverbs. And if you do, uh, just go forward to Ecclesiastes. And if you're not familiar looking stuff up in the Bible, don't stress it. Just go to Ecclesiastes in the table of contents, find it there, and you can get right to it. It's going to give you a page number. And we're in chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. Now, maybe you're like, okay, I'm just exploring Christianity. I'm just checking things out. I landed on this feed, and I don't even know really what to do. Don't worry about that either. If you have a mobile device, you can go ahead and just download a Bible app, and then just search Ecclesiastes. It's a little difficult to spell. You'll be able to figure it out. It'll, it'll fill in the blank. Uh, or if you're watching on our church online platform, right to the left of me, right to the left of me, that was a little weird, to the left of me, you're going to see a Bible drop-down menu, and you can go ahead and you actually, there's a Bible app built into that church online platform, and you can use that. So it's pretty great if you're using that platform to watch this right now. Okay, so let's dig in. Hopefully you, you've got there. We're Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to read the, the first 11 verses. It's kind of this, um, kind of starts with a, a bit of poetry. It's like a long poem, but it, it's kind of a different kind of poem, which you're going to see. And, and then I'm going to unpack a few key verses and we'll go from there. All right, let's read it together. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circus, circuits, the wind remains, returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The, eyes, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It is already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things, yet to be among those who come after. 
Now, this, this whole poem here, again, you're probably thinking, Jeremy, I'm struggling to find this uplifting part of this sermon. Stay with me. It points to something greater. But before we, we get there, we kind of really need to ask some questions about like, who is this guy speaking? Why does he speak like this? What's the whole point of this? And what's the bigger picture going on here? So, so we're going to do that, okay? So first, let's look at, at verse one. So the very start, it says, uh, he, it says here, the words of the preacher. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, there's a bit of scholarly debate on who wrote Ecclesiastes. If you look at the book forward in the Bible, you'll find Proverbs. Now, at the start of Proverbs, it states that it's Solomon, King Solomon. And, uh, and it, he states very, very clearly in the start of Proverbs who he is. And so no one, you know, maybe discounts it. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And, and there's a similar introduction in Ecclesiastes, but some writers have struggled with it because they state, you know, this is a different writing style and, and Proverbs is written so much differently and based on very practical things and, and Ecclesiastes is written with like these cliffhangers and, and unresolved issues and, and almost like, like problems, and big questions, and it's not the same. It's not like the same. Well, I think, and other scholars have, have kind of pointed out that, that these are different stages of King Solomon's life, perhaps. And if they ask the question, okay, who, who was the son of David? Okay, well, Solomon, well, is the son of David, could this just be like a descendant of David? Or is it really his son, which Solomon was David's son? And when it says the king of Jerusalem, they have to ask, the king of Jerusalem, who... Who was a great enough king to have so much wisdom and wealth and experience and pleasure to have so much that he could have the evidence or authority to write and to state that life is vanity, which we'll get into the meaning of that soon. And as we take that whole picture and we struggle to say, who is the preacher? Is it King Solomon? I think we can lean that it is King Solomon. And here's why. Because King Solomon, if you're not familiar with who he was, when he was a young king, he asked God, he prayed and asked God, above anything, give me wisdom. And God was so impressed that he, that he asked for wisdom that God granted him and said that he would be the wisest man in the world. So the, have more wisdom than any person that had ever been or ever will be. That's actually what God promised him. But then impressed by his request for wisdom instead of wealth or to have a grand kingdom, God gave him wealth and a grand kingdom and actually blessed him beyond what he would ever ask. Now, this was when he was a young king and he would go on to be very wise and write the Proverbs, which happens before Ecclesiastes. But near the end of his life, it makes sense that such a king who had everything, as he reflects on the end of his life, this is where he would say, okay, there's nothing new here. I've experienced it all, and I'm just not sure. I'm just still left unresolved. So, he has wisdom, wealth, power, pleasure, experience, and he still says vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. Well, what does that actually mean? Let's move to verse two. 
This, this idea of vanity, this statement, vanity of vanities, actually you're going to notice as we go through this series, it runs through the whole book. He keeps coming back to it. He explains one topic and then next thing you know, he's like vanity. A- another word would be futile. And, and how we know that this is what he's talking about is based on a little bit of Hebrew research as well as some cultural research too. Because when I say the word vanity, if you're new to church and haven't ever heard any of this before and not familiar with biblical literature, you think vanity and you think based on looks or maybe, you know, pride and arrogance in how someone appears. And you would be right. You would be right. Because if we look at our cultural definition and, and in the, just even in the Oxford Dictionary, the Oxford Dictionary states that vanity A vanity would be excessive pride in or admiration of one's own appearance or achievements. And you'd be like, oh yeah, that's what vanity is. But what's interesting is most of us just stop there in our current Western culture. Oxford Dictionary actually gives a second definition for what vanity is, which actually points to the biblical definition. Oxford states, the quality of being worthless or futile. I'm going to read that again. The quality of being worthless or or futile. And that definition, that second definition, which we don't really know in Western culture, is actually what uh, Solomon is talking about. That's what he's pointing to. Worthlessness, futility, the whole life, having everything. One author puts it this way. It says, Taking, taken literally, the Hebrew word hevel, okay, refers to a breath or a vapor, like a puff of smoke rising from a campfire, or a cloud of steam that comes from hot breath on a frosty morning. Life is like that, this author says, elusive, ephemeral, enigmatic. It disappears as suddenly as it comes. We are here today and gone tomorrow. This is the premise As we start down this road of Ecclesiastes and really asking big questions about whether or not today is going to matter and whether or not we're going to do anything worthwhile and whether or not we're going to make today count, as we start on this journey, this is where Solomon starts, says, look, I have lived it all. I have had great intelligence, great power, great wealth, great pleasure, and in all of it, it's futile. In the end, it was over. Like, like here in the Yukon when it's a cold, crisp morning in the winter and we exhale and that puff of mist and we see it and maybe we even feel it on our lips and then it's gone until we inhale and exhale again. Solomon is saying, this is life. This Hebrew word, Havel, is a vapor. It's gone. What are we going to do with this life? But he doesn't, he doesn't end there. I want you to scroll down to verse 9. Verse 9 is crazy. He says, what has been done, or sorry, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. A great example of this that I heard in this, this, what Solomon's talking about, was when Christopher Columbus discovered North America. And so he releases that, ha, you know, he has discovered North America and news spread. But what's interesting is Basque fishermen's like, fishermen, we find out later through history, nope, kind of been there. We'd actually been to North, uh, to what would be, end up being Newfoundland in Northern uh, North America because they had found that that side of North America, which they had found had great 
fishing grounds, and they had fished there, but they didn't spread it around because the Basque fishermen wanted to go there and, and catch fish. Another, another group that we would find out later is a group of merchants from Bristol, England, had also been to the West to sell and trade, but again, they didn't let anyone know because they wanted to make money for themselves. And this doesn't even discount that 500 years earlier, the Norsemen, Vikings, had also traveled to the West. And so this kind of is an example of what Solomon's pointing to, saying, hey, you might have a great idea. You might have done something really great, but achievements have been had before. And even great achievements are fleeting. But maybe you're going to push back. So are you saying we don't do cre- have creativity? We don't, we don't, you know, try new technology like we're doing now in online sermons and stuff like that. And what about all the inventions that have taken place? Surely they have great meaning. Yeah, on some level, I get it. For me, I, I'm, I love Apple products. If you know me, you know that. And please forgive me if I'm offending any PC users out there. But I love Apple products and I always have. I love a Mac. And I have kind of looked back in that. In being a fan of Apple for a long time, I learned a lot about Steve Jobs, Apple's founder, and, and his life. And, even, and after he passed away, I watched a lot of documentaries, read a lot about him. And what's fascinating to me is I found out that even though he created so many amazing things, the people that came out after he passed away talked about how many strained relationships he had and how the creativity and the work of, of his products and inventions, they consumed him to the point where it was difficult to work with him. And then, of course, as history has told us now, you know, he, he was diagnosed with cancer and he died far earlier than he, than he would have or should have. And so for me, even in that, there were so many great inventions that I love and, and, and great things that I used and were, were important to my ministry and to my work and even just my social life. And, and yet I look and I'm like, wow, it, it, at the end of his life, Apple products, the iPhone didn't change his eternity. He still faced eternity like everyone else. You see, this, this is what... Solomon is trying to point to, that, that he's trying to, to show us that in the end, at the end of our lives, we all face eternity. It, the sun goes round, the wind, the sea, everything goes on in life, but at the end, it's futility. It's what's after our life that we need to ask, and he doesn't resolve it. He, he, he just leaves it. Um, one author, Justin Holcomb, writes this way. He says, Due to the tyranny of time that erodes and replaces all that distinguishes human accomplishments, our work can be summarized as, quote, nothing new and nothing remembered. There is a cyclical, rhythmic element to creation that appears futile. The passage, Solomon's passage here, evokes a longing for grace and meaning. Which is maybe where you're left. Maybe you're asking. I know when I read this, I'm left that. Where is the grace and meaning? There has to be some grace here. This seems so harsh. And there has to be some meaning in this world. Where does it come from? Solomon, you're leaving us hanging, buddy. I'm on a cliff edge here. And you've just said, hey, end of life's coming. 
do whatever you want. I've done it all. It's not going to matter in the end. That can't be true. (laughs) Surely that can't be true. There has to be more. But the interesting thing about Ecclesiastes and really about the whole Old Testament of the Bible is it's all a big cliffhanger. It's all leaving an unresolved problem that all creation is kind of waiting for and they were waiting at this time. And that this would point to the New Testament and that something's coming eventually. But before I get there, let's just think about my own life and think about our current situation. You and I, we're in under this COVID-19 reality, we're in our homes and, and we can start thinking, we can start thinking if once I get back to work, once my family can go outside, once I'm back to my sports team or recreation, once I can do my hobby, then everything will be fine. And, and I, I've heard people say it. We're like depending on Once everything goes back to normal, once churches can gather in the auditorium again instead of online, then everything will be fine. Then it'll work out. Are we sure? Was life so much more meaningful then? Was what we did so much more important then? Are we sure that once COVID-19 is done and and it's over or there's a vaccine or it's gone through or however you want to do it and we're released from our homes, are we sure that in that time, in that moment, everything will work out and that finally we'll have meaning and we'll be fulfilled again? I think that'll be fleeting too. Because from what I understand as a pastor and from walking with people through life, Before COVID-19, they were on a treadmill. And COVID-19 just paused the treadmill. And now all as they look forward to is getting back on the treadmill. But they were still really questioning back then, where am I really going? Where does this whole thing lead to? It's a cliffhanger. It's an unresolved problem. It's Solomon's vanity. And so, for me, before, hey, I was working towards a master's degree. I was working in coffee shops, meeting people constantly. The the buzz and excitement of my city and and my community and connecting with people from the church and outside of the church and hearing about news and and just local chatter. It was amazing. It was my life. And, And I got to preach in a full room. Now I'm preaching in an empty room. Even for me, I can start to allow this thought inside of me to say, well, once I get back there, then I'll be fine. I'm an extrovert as a, as a matter of fact. And, and, you know, I'm kind of ready to give some people some high fives. And what can slip in is, is I can say, oh, well, once I get back to here, then I'll feel good again. Then there'll be meaning again. Then I'll be do, doing something. Then my life will count. But again, that's a fleeting thought. If I don't remember, my life, my life will still end someday. And, and what I'm doing, what I'm doing, if it becomes my identity, if what I do or what I say or where I'm going or where I'm working, if that becomes my identity, that's vanity. It's futile. It's meaningless. Because I am not truly just what I do or what I say or who I'm with or what I experience or my hobby or that that may be a little 
piece of who I am. But that's not where I find my identity. Again, another cliffhanger, another unresolved problem. Thankfully, we don't end there. Like I was saying earlier, the whole Old Testament points to the New Testament. It's an old covenant, an old promise pointing to a new promise. And if you're not familiar with the Bible and not not familiar with uh, the way uh, in which Christianity has unpacked throughout history, the bigger story, many years after Solomon would leave his cliffhanger, God would answer it by sending his son, Jesus, the, the king of kings, the, tr- the true descendant of David, which is interesting, right? Because at the start of Ecclesiastes 1, it, it says the preacher, the son of David, uh, the, the, the king of Jerusalem. And Jesus would end up being the true preacher, the one and only And he would also be the son of David that prophecy after prophecy would point that there's going to be a descendant of David and and he will make everything right. He will answer every question. He will solve every problem. He he will be the rescue net at the cliffhanger. (laughs) And you won't just be left hanging. He will pull you up and secure you and save you. And, And it's pointing to this moment, the Christ, the Messiah. And so he comes. And Jesus, the true king of kings, the true descendant of David, the, the answer. And for a moment, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark, the gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Jesus talked about life too. And in, in Mark 8, Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 35 and 37, he he kind of gives, gives the resolution to everything Solomon asked. He says, Jesus said, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Isn't that fascinating? Because what Solomon's saying is like, look, I've lived the fullest life of anyone. I have had everything. And in the end, it's vanity, futile. And Jesus is saying, thanks for starting the conversation, Solomon. I'm going to finish it. You see, if you lose your soul, if you lose your life now, if you want to dive into something that's truly, truly meaningful, meaningful, and that doesn't end with this life, when, when you're at the cliff of life, of, of death, of the end of life, of eternity, I've got something that lasts further. And, and Jesus is asking, what, is, what happens if you gain everything, but you lose your soul? You just die. A a, a man who has everything and a man who has nothing still faces the same eternity, the same death. What happens next? If you only have today and if you know that at the end of today it's over, what counts? What's worthwhile? And Jesus is saying, losing your life for me and for my gospel. The gospel being the good news of Jesus. That Jesus Christ died on a cross for the sins of the world. And that 
Three days later, after being buried in the ground, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, providing a way that every single person, you and me who have sinned, our sins can be wiped away through belief in him and giving our life to him. And then he ascended to heaven with the promise to return. And that through belief in Jesus and giving our life to him and his gospel being a part of our life and the Holy Spirit filling inside of us, showing a new way that there's no wisdom, there's no wealth, there's no pleasure or power that will ever, ever come close to knowing Jesus. Because knowing Jesus, when the lights go out of this life, it's momentary. Because in an instant, we're with him in the kingdom. And heaven is there. And we have gained everything. Because our soul moves on, our life, our earthly life, it's going to end, but our soul moves on. You see, I want to be clear about something. Jesus finishes the story that Solomon started. And we're going to notice this throughout this entire series, that Jesus finishes the story that Solomon starts. And everything that we go through in this series We're going to talk about wisdom and pleasure and power and sex and relationships. And we're going to hit all sorts of hot button topics. But what we're going to to see Solomon do every time is he's going to just leave us hanging. What's the answer, Solomon? And it's on purpose because the answer is Jesus. And every single time, we're going to be able to go to the Gospels and we're going to see that Jesus just answers the question, solves the problem, resolves the issue. And we're going to do that. We're going to journey together through this over the next few months. And maybe by the time this series is done, we'll all be outside and enjoying our regular lives. For some of us, we might be back on the treadmill. But will, be, will the treadmill be actually maybe a, a road or a path heading somewhere for each of us? Will our lives actually be headed in an eternal direction? Will we be doing things that will reverberate into the next life? Or will it end here? I need to ask that question as much as you. Don't just think because I'm a preacher or a pastor that I can't just get caught up in the daily grind of that because it can just become a job. And and if that's news to you, I'm I'm so sorry to, to burst your bubble, but that's the reality. We even as pastors and preachers and ministers, we all have to check ourselves and say, okay, wait, am I really doing eternal work here or am I just on a treadmill for Jesus? Is this gonna count? Is my life going to count? Is your life going to count? I want to leave us with with one thought. Philip Bryken, in a a book, Why Everything Matters, the Gospel and Ecclesiastes, he writes this, life's frustrations will not last forever. We live in the hope of a new day. When the vaporous mist of this life will vanish, and eternity will dawn in the brightness of our Savior's glory, Jesus' glory. Almost every verse in Ecclesiastes shows us how much we need a Savior to make things new. I want to give you an opportunity. If, you've, if you don't know Jesus and if you, you've never given your life to him, you can do that now. I know we're not on the treadmill. We're not really going anywhere. Someday we will, and that's fine. We'll get back to it. But today, you can make a decision that your life will count starting today. Not just in this life, 
but that your life, that your choices, that, that, that who you are, that your identity no longer become in the things you have and the things you do, but that your identity actually can belong in Jesus, which moves past the cliffhanger to eternity. And today I want to give you an opportunity, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to accept him and start on a new path where you know this life, whenever it ends, I will be in eternity. I will, I will know him. I will belong to him. I will be in heaven with him. You can do that today. And for those of you that have maybe grown up in church and you're just checking things out and these are some reminders of things maybe you knew once long ago and, and you're ready to recommit your life to Jesus and you want to say, today, I want my life to count. If today is going to be my last day, I do not just want to chase things that are fleeting, futile, vanity. I want to chase someone and something. Jesus and his gospel is what he said in Mark. I want to chase Jesus and his gospel so that in eternity it matters. If you would like to pray that today and give your life to Jesus or recommit your life to him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And that as we travel through this journey of Ecclesiastes in the series Make It Count, we can travel together first that we're founded or foundationally in Jesus and that that be our identity first. And now let's work forward and start tackling the other stuff. Let's work together over the next three months to be prepared for going back to normal. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for those listening. And as we come to you, we acknowledge each of us. I am a sinner. We are sinners. And that sin separates us from you. We chase so many things in life that will not go into eternity. That are vanity. That are futile. Today we submit this to you and confess it to you. But we know and believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for that sin and futility, to die for that vanity upon the cross. And that they buried him, but he did not stay dead. We believe in the resurrection, that he rose again to conquer sin and death and all that vanity, all that futility, to make a new way, to answer our questions, to resolve our issues, to solve our problems. You sent your son Jesus that our identity may no longer be in what we have or what we do or who we know, but that our identity might belong to Jesus. And that through him and his gospel, we might gain, our, gain eternity in heaven. I ask, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit into us and that you would reveal new things to us. And as we start this journey over the next three months, in Ecclesiastes, that you would bring new things to our attention. Teach us, convict us, show us what needs to happen. When we get that moment where we're back to normal life and the temptation to fall back into old ways, to get back on the treadmill of chasing things that are fleeting, before we get on that, help us make today count. Help us think about what matters today. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.
before I go, I just have a couple little kind of opportunities for you to take, to kind of respond to how today's gone for you. First of all, if you've given your life to Jesus or if you have recommitted your life to him, we would love to celebrate. I personally, I would love to know and, and we would love to maybe send you a Bible, help you uh, with maybe material or, or other things, and, and journey with you. We, we want to help you in your newfound faith or your recommitted faith. And so you can send me an email directly. Uh, you can send it to jeremy at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. That's jeremy at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. Or you can just send it in any social media feed message at Pastor Jeremy Norton, at Pastor Jeremy Norton. And I'll get that. Uh, or you can just send it to the church office, the regular email, whatever you want to do. Second thing is if you're new to Mountain View Church and now you're kind of becoming a part of our online at-home community, that's amazing. We're glad and, and we want you to, we want to know you. We want to be uh, in community with you. And there's a way you can do that. If you hit the connect button, if you're watching on the church online platform, or you go to our website and click get connected, there's a little form there you fill out. It's like an online connection card. A couple questions there and fill that out. And then we're going to get in contact with you and we'll make sure that uh, you feel uh, in the loop on what's happening through the week as well. Uh, or you can just add comment streams, uh, uh, comments in the comment streams as you feel you want to. Even right now as you're listening and watching, you can go ahead and give us a comment there. The last thing that I would ask is uh, we're trying to build an invitation culture at Mountain View. We believe that Whitehorse needs the gospel of Jesus. They need the message of Jesus. We believe that. We believe that there's a lot of people in Whitehorse that need a church family. But we also know because of online this goes to the Yukon, to the entire northern Canada, maybe all of Canada, maybe the world. I don't even know where you're watching. I would love to know. You can put it down there in the comments. But an invitation culture, it, whether you're watching any sort of gospel-centered, Jesus-centered video, an invitation culture means you're not afraid to invite people. You're not afraid on your social media platform to like and share videos like this. And it doesn't even have to be this one. It, it can be any, anything centered around Jesus. And so we're trying hard at Mountain View Church to develop an invitation culture that we would be bold about our faith, that we would be bold about Jesus and his gospel, and that we would share and invite people to watch and, and start conversations. Share it to a friend and say, hey, what do you think of this? Have you ever thought of this before? And, and so as we continue in this series, I would just, I desperately ask your help that in order to get the gospel and the message of Jesus out, that you join with us. One of the greatest ways that you can partner with our church is to be bold enough to share or send it to a friend or invite someone to watch with you. As of now in the Yukon, we can have gatherings. They have to be under 10, I think. Uh, and for most people in the medical field, they're trying not to let people, you know, get together too much and they don't want you visiting. So it's, it's hard to know where the line is. Can we have a church of 10 people or does it have to be just our family? I get it. I don't really know the answer either. There's a lot of confusion. But at some point here, we're going to be allowed to have bigger gatherings. And that's great. If you have a gathering of 10, start a watch party. Invite some people over for whatever time the gathering you go to and hang out together. 
That'd be awesome once we're allowed to do that. And, and, and the systems are in place to do that. Then we're going to go to gatherings probably of maybe 25, maybe 50. I don't know what it's going to be like. But it's probably going to be a while till we can fill this room again with 150, 200 people. And so be thinking about what, what's your plan then? How can you start, as we restrictions start loosening, how can we start gathering people in our home and maybe having a brunch together, having dinner together and watching church together? And, and it's going to be very New Testament church here in a little bit where it's little small groups uh, so that we can keep flattening that curve and, and all those fun terms, social distancing, that we've come to, to just be so fond of and, and are very normalized. What's your plan? What's your plan moving forward on how church is going to happen for you? Start talking to people about it, inviting friends. Let's start developing an invitation culture that Jesus and the gospel would hit Whitehorse with a storm, Yukon and beyond. Thank you again so much for watching. If you stay online, you will see that there's going to be a digital foyer that appears. There's going to be a slideshow with some announcements on what's going on this week. And you can continue to maybe say hi to someone you know, and maybe share a thought or a question on the, on the sermon, or maybe say something about the, the songs or the scripture or whatever you want. Maybe pray for someone in the comment field. I don't know, whatever you want to do, but we want to leave that open so that you can do that. And there's also going to be a few of our staff and ministry uh, leaders that might jump on there and you can ask them some questions. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If you have given your life to Jesus today or would like to join, serve, or support Mountain View Church, please let us know. Email connect at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. That's connect at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. Lastly, feel free to connect with us through social. Just search at Mountain View Whitehorse. Have a blessed week.